Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 65. I'm your host, Brian Heineser. As always, broadcasting from his lair of evil, Mac. It is my burrow. And broadcasting from the Dungeon of Doom, Ian. Well, not really Doom, but... It does at times look like there's a whole army ready to march down here. I don't deny that. And broadcasting from sunny Aurora, Kimberly. It's actually, I'm right on the cusp. I'm still Denver. I've got the address. But how's everyone doing? Excellent. It's so great to be so well corrected during these intros. It isn't like you guys couldn't have given me this information earlier. (laughs) Take you two. Knew I was in a basement. <laughs> was in a basement. What more did you want to know? No, no, no. It's fine. It actually, it's it perfect. Gorgeous. How is everybody? Doing, Doing great. Right. You guys did a lovely podcast while I was gone uh, with Jason Cordova, uh, which I I enjoyed listening to. It was it was a good experience for me to be listening to you guys from the other side. Um, I I definitely think that uh, it went well. He was a good guest. He had a lot to say. Um, I, I listening to it, I, there was, there was a couple of point things that a point, you know, I, I really wanted to nudge him on. And, and Ian, your, your point is, is excellent that when you're actually doing these things, you don't always catch all that stuff. And of course I realized that it was so great to be able to, to listen to it and go, Oh, we should have probed that more. We should have pushed this. Um, but overall, I really think that it was, a, that it was a good give and take. I mean, Kimberly, you really gave it to him, tried to, tried to get him to clarify and make some positions on things. I, I, I really kind of held back quite a bit because I did not want to come across as bullying. But, yeah, I had a lot of things I really wanted more clarification on. And, and he was good. I mean, he, he certainly knew his stuff from his side. He, uh, he did not make a convert out of me, though. No, and he didn't make a convert out of me listening, too. I mean, it ends up – it seems like he's working off of anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, – and- I got him to admit that at the end that you know when he was talking about the alien stuff and how if they were disembodied they take on human shape I'm like that's nothing but speculation and he openly admitted that so the, no a- it's not speculation I've seen the movie it's called Starman <laughs> but there is a little that kind of admits that some a lot a lot of it does base something oh uh, you are cutting out on me sir am I yes yeah Ian you were you were great last week what happened I don't know. We've determined that you're have the cause you had, of all the problems, Brian. Have you, had I, yeah, maybe. Your, have you had weevils chewing on your new microphone? Uh, we haven't rearranged anything. Yeah. I shall take a break. You guys can go on talk if you want, and I shall go and restart my good little... Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, I mean, the, it, I think a lot of UFO researchers have uh, have really shied away from Roswell. Um I, even though I know that it isn't a perfect explanation, I think if if that's your strongest evidence and that's what in um and that's the direction you want to go, I think you you're pretty much in for a failure there because clearly there's a cover up, right? We know that. Um, but I was just I was just actually very pleased to hear him say that they they've distanced themselves from Stan Romanek. Yeah, that was really interesting too. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, uh good show, guys. Uh, it was and I had a lot of fun listening to it. Uh, it was great. Uh, and not that you need me to come here and, and, and validate you all. You all know that you did a good job, but I, um, it was just fun for me to be able to listen. Actually, it I do is fun to validate me, Brian. Oh, well, you I do. I have to pay for parking. Ah, oh, well, I don't validate parking anymore. It got too expensive. But Kimberly doesn't. I've actually need it. enjoyed it when I missed an episode and got to listen, you know, from that, from that outsider point of view. It, it is really, 
a, a different take on it, and it, it's fun to do every once in a while. Although I hate to miss him, so yeah. But it was really scary because Ian's like, "Well, we're just going to turn the podcast over to this uh, UFO believer," and I'm going, "No, don't do that. <laughs> That's a horrible idea." Uh, but it worked out well. So, all right, let's have some announcements. All right, where is my announcements page? Okay, um, we don't have a ton going on, but some really good stuff coming up. So Sunday, August 12th, is the monthly Humanists of Colorado meeting, and we're going to be having the people who just started the Secular Coalition for Colorado. And I talked about this a little bit, I think, last week. Uh, this is the group that is going to be doing basically political activism on the secular front. So it's kind of a new area. It's kind of exciting, and I'm really kind of interested in hearing of what they're saying. Uh, I'm going to go off topic here for a second, but I met Sean Faircloth this last week, and oh, I'll really? talk more about that in a minute. He's. I want and to have him on. If, if you actually get to I, talk to him. Oh, I'm, yeah, I got it. Because his book I, was you fabulous. Know I this, right? Okay, good. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Okay. Um, but anyway, he started uh, working on the Secular Coalition and has moved on to the James Randi Foundation, where he's working right now. But this is kind of part of his dream with the uh, Attack of the Theocrats is his mm-hmm. book that we're going to talk about here in a second. And um, so he was real excited to hear that Colorado is the first associate state member of the Secular Coalition for America. So again, um, you know, a lot of times these things, politics and, and uh, secularism don't always mix. And these are people who are mixing them. So the results should be really, really interesting. I'm, I'm excited about it. And of course, you guys know I love the humanists. So uh, check that out. I'll come back to Sean and other stuff in a minute. But let me go through the rest of the list. On Wednesday, the 15th, uh, the Boulder Atheists are doing their Atheism 101 classes. This time it's on the Atheist Classroom. On Thursday, the 23rd, at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, James Luna pre- presents Phantasmagoria, a performative lecture. I'm not sure what it's about, but it sounds interesting. And then, of course, I've been talking about it, and I can't believe it's less than a month away. Friday, August 30th, Labor Day weekend, the Atheist Alliance of America conference here in Denver. Um, I hope everybody's going. It's going to be amazing. Coming up also in September, Thursday, September 6th, is the Denver Botanic Gardens, What Are You Really Breathing? Uh, a lecture from a professor of environmental engineering is going to be speaking. Thursday, uh, sorry, Tuesday, September 11th at the Denver Museum, Missions to Titan, the Enigmatic Moon of Saturn. That sounds like fun. Friday the 28th, the Science Lounge is doing the Bacchus Rockus, a party in Pompeii. They, they have a new exhibit coming in. And then uh, this is a ways off, but the Denver Atheist put a link up here for Christians Unpacking Atheism. So it's an open event at a church where they're having uh, Lee Strobel and, from what I gather, William Lane Craig talking about from a Christian point of view, what atheists believe. Yes. So people are encouraging us to go and be respectful and ask questions and listen. Uh, but what a fascinating chance to, to hear about uh, atheism from their point of view, letting us know what we believe in and stuff. So you know, I got to say, it is important for us to be there, even though I mean, we know Lee Strobel's arguments, we know William Lane Craig's, and we know the straw men that they build up so that they can knock them down. Uh, and it's good to be there to try and rebut those things. But they, even when we do successfully do that, they still continue to use the same straw men. So we can't give up um, because other people hopefully will hear what we're saying. But they, they, it's the same old stuff from those two. 
Yeah. Although William Lane Craig's a hell of a speaker. Oh, he is. Give him that. So yeah. um, it'll be if, especially if it's really live. It might be simulcast. I'm I'm a little confused. Their their own advertising is a little misleading. Um, but but we'll have more information on it. We got plenty of time. So before we move on, if I can, I wanted to talk about the Free Thought Film Festival, which was just ended yesterday, uh, Sunday in Denver. It was the second international Free Thought Film Festival. I wound up getting to go to the uh, the poker in the church game. Um, I came in fifth, which was pretty good, I thought. Yeah, it is excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, finally got beat out, though. But that's okay. Uh, got to meet some interesting people and got to see a lot of really good movies. Uh, they, they did a number of things at different theaters. And, uh, it was really, it was really neat. Uh, some of them were really great movies. Some of them were like, what does this have to do with secularism? But they were good nonetheless. Uh, what was really interesting for me and what I kind of wanted to do a quick discussion on here was there was not a ton of people at this thing. It, uh, from a, from a reaching out to people perspective, I don't think it did incredibly well. It was well put together. The films were great, but we did not get the attendance that I would have thought something like this would bring out, especially in a town like Denver. And, you know, we've got the convention coming up next month, too. And we've seen it in different meetups as well. It's, it's just so unpredictable as to who is going to show up and what brings people out. So I kind of wanted to toss that out there to you guys and kind of ask the question, what do you think people want to come out for uh, or d don't they? And, you know, as members of the secular community, what, what gets you off the couch? What gets you out to do stuff? Well, Brian's going to say open bar. <laughs> and well. they did have that at one of the events anyway. Really? I missed it? Damn. Yeah. Well, according to South Park, it's, um, was it punch and pie? Punch, uh, a cake and pie, I think it was. You know, what you're, what you're conveying here is what I'm hearing from, um, I think it's Daft. Who? What, which is the atheist community? Atheist uh, community that moved to um, group spaces. Yeah, that's Daft, the Denver atheist. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm hearing the same thing from them. Mm -hmm. Um, that they just are having trouble building this community. Um, and and they're resting a lot of hopes currently on the secular hub. Right. Which I haven't heard anything about in a while. I hope that's still coming along. Um, it is. It was a little disappointing, um, their fundraising, because you they could not take your money at that point. They wouldn't take your pledge unless it was for $1,000. I right. can't wow. give $1,000 to that. I can't give $1,000 to anything. I don't even give $1,000 to rent. Right. So I, I was disappointed in the fundraising for that because – I would have liked to have been able to participate at some level, and I would have been willing to participate at some level, but I could not do 1,000. My understanding is that there's supposed to be a second round of funding, which yeah, I hope I'll, I hear about. Yeah, and I'll go about. into it real quick if you like. Yeah, go um, ahead, please. We are finally moving forward with that. We've unfortunately been stuck in 501c3 application hell. Yes. And it has not been approved yet, but the decision, it, it usually gets approved within like 90 days. For some reason, we're on like the seven-month uh, program here and we can't get any kind of an answer out of them. Apparently there were some rule changes in 501c3 applications and they have a lot of backlog. We're apparently stuck in that. So, um, One actually, of the rule changes is that 501c3 can't be, uh, can't be atheists. No, that's not true. So <laughs> what's, uh, <laughs> stop telling lies. 
So what's happening next is the weekend after the AAA conference, they're actually going to go ahead and have the kickoff meeting with the founders. So what you're referring to with the $1,000 uh, pledge is going to be considered the founders. And they did want to limit the first round to, to founders. They, they did think it was going to be a lot faster. We thought back in February, we'd be done with the founders part, have our 501c3 and be moving on to normal uh, well, building and, and bringing in, you know, donors who, like you say, can't afford a thousand dollars. That is a, a hell of a lot to ask for. But it's moving forward. They basically are working with Eric Meir from Atheist for Humanity so that the way people will be able to, because there's a lot of obviously problems with, uh, taxation. So. <clears throat> What's going to happen is even if they don't wind up getting 501c3 status, which they expect they will, they just don't know what the timing will be, the donations are going to go through the Atheist for Humanity, which can then give the money to the Secular Hub, which means that if for some reason the Secular Hub goes along as not a 501c3 charity and goes rather as a um, just a, a corporation or a, a business, which is another possibility. We don't have to have 501c3. We would just like to. Um, the only people who would have to change their taxes would be Atheists for Humanity. So there's, there's kind of like this big workaround kind of thing going on for that. So I realize no one's really heard much about um, Secular Hub, but it is just about to get started okay. um, in September. Basically, you know, it's, you know how it is. It's the same people who work on the same stuff. So we're all working on the conference until September. And then we're going to be working on the Secular Hub. But it is coming. There will be plenty of chances to be involved and... Uh, and kind of see what's what's going to happen next. Again, their idea between behind the first round of founders was to make sure that there were a couple of big investors to kind of seed the pot, if you will. So mm -hmm. I know it, it, it. Again, it should have been a really small window, but it's it's gone a lot longer. All right. So okay. Anyway, so so yeah, you're right. I I have a lot of hope too. Um, like like Jeanette from Daft does about the secular hub bringing us together. But at the same time, what I'm seeing from my point of view is a lot of opportunities going by that's not catching people's attention. And that's not anybody's fault or anything. I'm just kind of wondering how to do it better. What would, you know, again, just using you guys as a test group, what would bring you out besides an open bar? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I used to go out for a lot of this stuff, and, and I haven't. And, and that's because a lot because of, you know, the way that IIG has gone for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully we'll be resolving that soon and I'll feel like I can participate more. Um, but that kind of zapped me, um, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, particularly with the secular community, um, it, it, it doesn't grow and, you know, we, we get a few people in and out. Um, but we kind of had a, a core group of, I guess, about 20 people for a while there. Um, and, uh, so those 20 people, I mean, I'll tell you what brought the skeptics out. Um, when we would do stuff like, uh, go to the hip, hypnosis seminars, you know, and, and when we went, when we went to see, uh, uh, Chris well, Moon the, and stuff like we that. Did the Mormon and the Scientology thing, that kind of Right. Crowd. That, and th those were huge. Those kinds of things, uh, those attracted crowds because, I mean, with, with one of them, I mean, it was a controversy for the skeptics, so we like to go. And the other one were being put on, you know, um, by, with topics that were, you know, controversial, those kinds of things get people out and get people motivated. But in this, in this state, we don't have a huge rift, you know, of Bible Belt that we are combating. Right. And, and one of the things that I see 
and this, of course, anecdotally, but I think that I could back it up, um, that places that have um, that are more your Bible Belt types of communities, the ones that have sprung up atheist communities are, are some of the strongest. I mean, Austin, Texas seems like it's got a quite a strong um, atheist community. And, of course, Texas is part of that Bible Belt. Sure. I got an observation here. Those events that you're talking about that a bunch of people went out to that were controversial, those were also kind of kind of uh, a negative intent. You went out there to disprove. You went out there to absolutely not. You are absolutely no. You're absolutely wrong. Um, we went out to observe and to learn and to take notes. Our intention was not necessarily to disprove. It was not to be disruptive. Okay, it was it was just to go and and primarily to listen and ask questions. Yes, we did ask controversial questions at times. Okay, but um, that, but, but that was not our intent. And and with the Scientology. And, and, and that one, that was just a guy who was out of Scientology, um, giving his experience. And, uh, so I, no, I, I disagree with you, um, that about the intentions in those particular situations. Certainly, uh, we do occasionally do stuff where that is the intention, um, uh, but not most of the time, actually. I don't know, Kimberly, I mean, did you feel that way when we went to see Chris Moon and, uh, and some of those? Yeah, I mean, every, everything we've ever done, I've, I've felt that I've always been a little bit even surprised at the level of, um, of niceness that, that we did. You know, like you say, nobody ever went in and, and kind of slammed anybody or, you know, got right up in anybody's face or disrupted a meeting or anything like that. And I wasn't sure when I first started going to events like that if that would happen or what my reaction would be. But it's always been very polite and, you know, the same thing with like the free thought exchange formerly into the churches. You know, there's not this sense of, um, of going in to, to have a fight. Quite frankly, we're we're smart enough to know we are outnumbered. We can't win in a you know in a street fight. <laughs> right. We're gonna get our asses yeah. kicked. So nobody is interested in getting their asses kicked <laughs> like that. Um, we don't have the numbers for that kind of thing. We've got the truth, and that's about it. But um, but either way, I I get the sense that more people don't want. You know, no one's really interested in, in those in in a situation in which it would be a big fight. But I do kind of agree with the point that the uh, oppression kind of thing does bring people out or certainly makes them stronger in their in their fight and it is true in denver you know i've got atheist stickers all over my car nobody has ever blinked at me you no. know so uh, whereas if i think i was down in colorado springs or texas or something like that i may very well have to keep an extra eye on the road to get make sure i don't get knocked off yeah colorado springs has a little bit stronger atheist community i think Mm-hmm. I think that they um that they're more active. They might have f- fewer people, but I think that they are a little bit tighter knit and uh, and they operate a little bit more. They than operate we do. differently. Yeah. yeah, and and we've got great numbers. Denver Atheist just passed a thousand <clears throat> people on Meetup the other day, but we certainly don't see a thousand people at any particular Meetup. Right, I and mean, that's wh- fine too. Yeah. That's just kind of the nature of it. Well, I mean, the skeptics are over five hundred or so, right? Right. Um, and we're, and, but most of them, pe- most we don't know most of those people. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like I said, I'm just wondering what it is, even on a small level, what brings people out? Because I'm that I'm the idiot who's out at everything. You yeah. know, like I, I see any kind of announcement. Like, oh, I'll go to that. Oh, I'll go to that one, too. And, it's, you know, it's even two when things. my relationship suffers for the fact that I'm out every single night of the week. It, it's going to be controversy and a need. And I sometimes think that the need for that kind of a community in Denver is not as strong. No, it's not. Because we're not fighting. Because we're not fighting, right? I mean, li- listen, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if my, I mean, most of my coworkers are atheists. 
Uh, at least the younger ones are. The older generation, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I know there's two very religious people, and there's two that are, I would call, more apathetic to religion, right? So uh, where I work, it's it's a non-issue. You know, if they if they decide to fire the atheists, uh, they're they're pretty much done, <laughs> right? They there there goes you know, most of the staff. So I, so I don't have a problem at work either. Yeah. See, and it's, it's interesting because as we move forward, you know, there's been a lot of talk and we haven't done an article on this in a while, but the category of none of the aboves basically where people say that they have no religious affiliation, they don't necessarily believe in anything in particular keeps rising. I mean, we're at something like 19% now of the population. We are no longer a minority. Now do Yeah, those those numbers are highly debated. I, I'm not well, sure. I, I don't know. What I, I don't know where you're getting those how numbers. You ask the question exactly, yeah. to precisely to get exactly what it is. But I either think way the number of people nineteen percent is still a minority. Yes, but it's a minority that composes more than if you added up all the Jews, Hindus and Muslims in America and doubled that number, you'd still be below that percentage. So it is a minority. It's certainly not 50%, but can you imagine anybody firing a group of people because of because they were Muslim? You think they get away with that? I, I don't know. Yeah. Is this I mean is this in Denver or are you talking about the United States? This is the United States. See, and I don't know because those numbers every time I see those polls they vary. I think you can say a strong 10% uh, of atheist agnostic and then you've got another large percentage uh, that are non-religious right, right. and, and I which did, is I a did much bigger that it's yeah. not it's not 20 percent of the population identifies as atheist but this 19 18 19 20 percent is identifying as not a member of one of these other religious communities oh, well i mean and that's but that's still different than than the atheist position i would say it is but it's not as different as it was. Okay. I, my point is, I do think we are entering the mainstream. All right. That we're not, you know, like we put up this atheist invade Denver billboard for the convention. We were sure it was going to be vandalized. I mean, every time people put up a, a billboard about atheism, it gets vandalized. Pristine, a month later. We right. thought the newspapers would come out and be like, what the hell are the atheists doing? Nothing. We thought the churches would be like, I can't believe the atheists are coming in here. They were fine. I wrote to the mayor and got a letter from the mayor of the city uh, welcoming all the atheists to the convention. Not a blink. Right. So we're, we're the mainstream now. You know? Well, I, yeah, I don't know about mainstream, but certainly we're not uh, as controversial in Colorado. Right. Okay. You hold this in Alabama. There's going to be a different story. Right. And I'm not moving to Alabama just to have a tighter community. Right. And but the other part about it is is that as an atheist in this town, there's a lot of stuff that you a lot of communities that you can go and join that they don't care whether you're religious or not. There are many many outlets. It's not like we're restricted from any outlet either. Right. That's true. And so I I I just think that that growing a community in a place where there's not um a pressing need is far more difficult. Yeah. See, and I still think that there's a big need. I mean, because I, we do still see all the kind of, granted, they're not huge, but, you know, the smaller kind of things of, of uh, you know, still teaching against evolution. We're still going to we're still going to have a stupid personhood amendment on uh, the ballot in November in this state. And now it won't pass because no sane person would vote for that kind of shit. But we're going to go through it again. We go through it every time with these people. And, you know, again, I don't I, I've yet to hear the non-religious personhood amendment argument. Maybe it's out there. I'm not saying yeah. it's not I'm just saying you haven't brought it to me. 
I did. I the the but most recent know, thing it? though. I mean that we do have in this community. We had a shooting a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And an evangelical leader has come out and said that only the Christian victims will be going to heaven. So we're not. I mean, but he's still a minority. You sure. know, as far as people saying this kind of crap. Right. Right. But I mean, we do have this kind of stuff that needs a response. Yeah, it does. It does. So, and like I said, you know, we've talked about before, I'm interested in building a community. I find it important, but I know that I might not be in the majority here. And like I said, I'm just trying to hear from people what would tweak them into, yes, I want to go to that versus, yeah, that's cool that that's happening. Right. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to be involved, but once again, I've got many other things going on too. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's a balancing act. Well, I thought I'd put it out there. If um, any of the listeners have an opinion as to what kind of things they're looking for or what would get them off the couch kind of thing, I'd love to hear it. Just I'm interested in it. I'm not, again, saying anybody should be doing X, Y, or Z. I, I just like to know what, what people are interested in in order to build the community. Yeah. So I think that's a, a great question to ask. And hopefully somebody will have better answers than I do. And maybe okay. I'm wrong. Maybe somebody's going to have be able to explain to me what, what I'm getting wrong here. Okay. So we'll see. All right. Uh, so you went to Utah to become a Mormon? I did. I went to, well, okay. There, there's, there, there, I, I think there's three reasons to be in Utah, right? Uh, you might want to become a Mormon. You might want to be in the witness protection program or you might want <laughs> to be part of their, Vegas. yeah, or there might, yeah, you could be <laughs> on your way to Vegas or you might want to be part of their LBGT, um, community that, which is quite strong out there. Um, I'm not in the witness protection program. Okay. I found out that you can't just pick up wives. There's not just like a shop where you can go in and get extra wives. That that uh, apparently the F uh, uh, LDS church is is where you have to go to that, not the LDS church. So I got that wrong. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So polygamy, uh, not so much anymore. Even though that's yeah. biblical marriage, right? Everybody's talking about biblical marriage. You know sure. what about Abraham? Right? Explain to me his. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so no extra wives. Um, not witness protection program, and uh, I really am not a member of the uh, LBGT community. So I was in Utah for other reasons. Right. On the uh, Abraham thing, appar- apparently he killed vampires. <laughs> uh, different Abraham, but uh, yes, good point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody so see that one? I, no. I have not seen the movie. I read the book. The book was Me fun. Too. I read the book too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we went, you know, we went in through dinosaur. We went down to Salt Lake and we went to Moab. Uh, I went up to dinosaur. We, we, uh, we stayed in Echo Canyon, which was a lot of fun. But, um, then we went and saw the quarry. Uh, and, and so in dinosaur Utah, that's where they have the quarry. Um, and if you haven't been there, it's pretty neat. So that used to be a, a, a river and they have, and in the center, they figure it was probably a sandbar or something where all these dinosaur bones collected of all these animals. And so they, they've taken a piece of it. They've excavated the bones, right? But they've left them in there. Uh, so you can kind of see, um, the kind of the progression down the river, um, of the bones moving and stuff like that. It's really pretty neat. Um, and so I, you know, I, I went up and I was talking to one of the, uh, one of the rangers and first thing I, I asked him, so how, how did, how did they date this? And, and so she starts talking about lava flows and everything. And you can, you can just see her, you know, going through the motions and I'm like, was it potassium argon or lead uranium? And she's like, potassium argon. And so she was like, you could see the relief on this woman's face not to have to explain radiometric dating to one more person. <laughs> so, but it was cool. So they dated it between two lava flows. And so they were able to do that. And uh, so, but I did have to ask, 
and this is when, you know, my wife and kids, they, they leave me. Um, do you guys get a lot of young earthers coming through here? Um, she says, you know, if they come through in mass, I don't know it. Um, they kind of keep to themselves. Occasionally you'll get the person coming in and, and say, well, I don't believe that. And you're kind of like, okay, you know, she's like, it's quite a bit of evidence to just disregard, but uh, but yeah, for the most part, you don't get a lot of controversies. She said that um, she came from a place um, that was earlier. Um, that I guess I was probably a crustacean time period, and this was late Jurassic. So, and the other thing is, I wanted to know where you could go to see the KP boundary, and apparently, she thinks that's probably up in Montana. So I might have to. I'm probably going to go to Montana now. Okay. Yeah. So, so we did that, and then we got into Utah, and it was. Uh, Pioneer Day. They have a state holiday called Pioneer Day, which is kind of a, a week-long festival okay. that celebrates... It's based on getting Pioneer? Well, no, not exactly. In uh, 1840s, when the Mormons were removed from Nauvoo, Illinois, uh, Brigham Young led the Mormon pioneers through, uh, you know, across the country, through the beautiful mountains of Utah to settle in the Salt Lake Valley, which is arguably the stinkiest place in Utah. The day is celebrated with song, dance, rodeos, uh, uh, potlucks, parades, and drunk driving. Only second (laughs) to Independence Day. Interesting. Yes, yes. So there's your history lesson. And then we went to Moab and saw Arches, which was awesome. All right. All right. Tell us about the free college online, Ian. Well, this is something that I had heard about um, starting up about a year ago, and I guess this last spring they had their first actual classes, but this is called Coursera, and it is basically free online college courses taught by real professors. It's all done, you know, through videos and such, but it's all free. Now, the thing in... Is it accredited? Yes, these are by accredited universities, big-time universities. I mean, Princeton. Yeah, Princeton and stuff have been joining in. But you cannot get a degree as of now through this program, but they will, there is a certification, complete a class, they will send you a certificate saying, yes, you completed this college level course. So, and uh, some really uh, interesting classes. I'm actually um, going to start one here in about, about three weeks called Gamification, which is taking, uh, taking the um, concepts from, <clears throat> I'll, I'll read the actual Okay, gamification is the application of game elements and digital game design techniques to non-game problems, such as business and social impact challenges. Okay. They they range, uh, this one's a six-week course, which is, I think, about the shorter side of it. I think I saw some that actually went up to, like, 12 weeks, but it seems like between six and ten weeks of the normal ones. And, uh, you know... They tell you what what days they start, um, how many weeks, how many hours of a workload. You know, like gamification is four to eight hours a week. I can do four to eight hours a week. You know, so I love the concept, and I think this is actually exactly what education is supposed to be about. It, it should be available to everyone. It should be something if you want education, you shouldn't have to go out of your way to pay a whole bunch of money for it. You may not get the degree. But, I mean, you look through the courses, they have things on everything, and business, technology, um, you can you know, learn circuits and stuff like that. If, if you have something like, if I had a little more skill in that thing, check here and get it. You know, these are yeah. accredited college-level courses. I was, looking, oh, I was looking at the uh, computer algorithms course. Yeah. I thought that would be interesting. But so I put up the because like I said, you know we're, we're about education. We want you to go out and learn everything, and this is the perfect kind of thing where it's right there for you if you're willing to put in the work, get some certification, learn stuff, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. 
Take a look at one called Think Again, How to Reason and Argue. Oh, nice. Starts at the end of November. Looks really interesting. Hmm. And, and goes into, you know, you, you used to do the uh, spot the logical fallacy. Um, week one is how to spot an argument and separate it from surrounding verbiage. I, I think this one sounds cool. Yeah. I'm going to check out more of that. This is great. Thank you. All right. So uh, Curiosity landed on Mars. Yay. And it went off without a hitch. Now, I didn't stay up till 1130 to watch it. Uh, I would have liked to. That would have been fun. Uh, but I would have had to take the day off of work. <laughs> Yeah, I, I checked it first thing this morning before I went off to work to see how it um, went down. But Yeah, apparently it landed, and they thought there was going to be a couple hours before they started getting pictures back. And so the, during the celebration, the pictures started to roll in, that, so they immediately started to get pictures, which was pretty neat. Um, I put up a picture that's pretty cool from the orbiter, orbiter showing, um, showing it landing on the ground. Uh, that's pretty cool. So if there's life or the potential for there to been life, that's what this rover's job is. Yeah. This is the largest rover they've ever sent to Mars. It should last for years. You know, the, the, the possible information from this is just going to be astounding. Yeah, this yeah two year mission is what it's scheduled for. And if and it's so, anything like the other rovers, yeah. it'll just keep going. Now all the other rovers have out the ones that have actually landed. We lost a couple, but the ones that have landed have outdone their mission parameters right. so. by thousands of percent. Yeah. So this one yeah. is set for two years. If it has the same kind of you know, two thousand percent longer than than you than expected. I mean, crap! This thing's going the rest of our lives. This I, is, and who knows if it will or not? Yeah. It's obviously a lot more complicated, but does it have got an a, amazing track record? Does this one have a uh, nuclear power core, or is it still solar? Is um, it there was something about that. They've altered it so it should actually work better. I forget what that was. Okay, but there's something about how it's being powered. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't have some of the same problems with dust and such. It's a much bigger rover, and I, I thought I, I'm not sure what the power source is. And I thought it might have, but not sure if it has nuclear or not. Don't remember I reading that. So that's pretty cool. So that's up there, uh, landed, no problem. Um, the you know the artistry representations of what the landing was still look like are pretty awesome. Watched a couple of those. Uh, I put another um, uh, another video up. Um, I have a friend that works for Sierra Nevada. And he, he told me to go look this up. So the Dreamcatcher new concept operation. Uh, this is, of course, another concept um, drawing. But, I mean, they've got the funding. That, I mean, they, a Dreamcatcher is being built. Or Dream Chaser, sorry. Dream Chaser is being built. So this was a, a pretty neat little uh, video showing uh, showing that. So I think, he, I think he's some of the stuff that he's done is, uh, is for the spaceship. Awesome. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. It's nice to see that the space program is not as over as we have been kind of led to believe by some of the popular media. I mean, yes, the shuttle missions are not currently happening, but to suggest that nothing is happening is is clearly false. I mean, like I say, this landing on Mars was amazing. Some of the concepts they've got coming up are are really exciting. So it's it's a real it's it's not dead. It's it's a real exciting right. time. Well, SpaceX is going to launch people. It I mean it is very close. I mean the Dragon capsule works. Now I mean now I mean it's just a matter of uh, getting the one you know to to put humans up you know operational. It's coming. So a lot of fun. Good stuff. Yeah. Want to talk about the pet trade? Yeah, let's do it. So this got started. Um, we we had gotten a. Um, we, we had talked a while back and uh, misspoke about some things, made some implications. You're talking about the sugar glider. <laughs> yeah, the it's sugar difficult. glider, yeah. Um, and so we, you know, and we had said, what, what we basically insinuated, even though we knew better, that Australia was all 
outback. Um, and later I implied that uh, Texas has mountains. And Howard, yes, they do have mountains. So, but one of the things that, that she had said that was interesting is, you know, because we were talking about the sugar gliders, which she thought was interesting because she is not, they are not allowed to, to have sugar gliders. And of course here, that is part of the exotic pet trade. Well, and, and sugar gliders, and I, my understanding is that in, in Australia, sugar gliders kind of fill the ecological niche that we hold for squirrels. Sure. So. Yeah, and probably other small uh, marsupials do the same thing. Are you implying that squirrels are marsupials? No, I'm implying that sugar gliders. Sugar gliders are. Sugar gliders are marsupials. They are related to possums. Which reminded me that um, I knew that prairie dogs were a popular exotic pet in Japan. And here. I thought thought it was groundhogs, or are they also? uh, No, I don't know if they are not, but uh, prairie dogs are much smaller than uh, groundhogs, aren't they? Groundhogs are fairly. Groundhogs are about three times the mass of a prairie dog, I believe. Okay, so yeah, but no, but it it is prairie dogs, and uh, you can see pictures of of um, and videos of people that were in Japan that took video of pet pet stores, and they have um they have prairie dogs in there, and so and I thought it was primarily just an export thing, um, but I found out that up until 2003, that prairie dogs um, were an exotic pet here in the United States as well. Um, I think of them as primarily a, um, you know, something you go and, and, you know, and stay away from because of bubonic plague. Yeah, I think they are, I think they're exotic pets, uh, prized by bubonic plague fanciers, aren't they? they, they well, that and monkeypox and, uh, other actually diseases. there was, some guy got the black pit plague from, I believe it was a squirrel bite. Yeah, no, you can get it. I mean, certainly yeah, you can. So. Yeah, that, I know, no, no, no. But, uh, you, I, I imagine that there's lots of other, uh, critters that uh, carry the bubonic yeah. plague but i i didn't realize though up in so up in, in 2003 um there was a uh, a rat species of some sort that wasn't quarantined properly that brought in monkeypox that transferred that to the um uh to the um prairie dogs which infected some people so the cdc put an end to the trade they they took the ban off in 2008 um, but I also, I, um, Canada also, this is part of the exotic pet trade up there as well. Um, I don't know that they ever, that they ever put a ban on it. I asked dumbass if he knew anything about it and he, he didn't even know that that was an option for a pet. So, um, so I, well, I, I, I tell you what, then if you can have prairie dogs as pets now, have your wife pick me up, not pick me up one next time she goes to work. Well, I do have a pet store in here that is in Denver where you can go and adopt one if you would like. Well, actually, um, when I worked with Mac's um, mother-in-law way back when, they were redoing the Belmar area and actually building some of the um, strip mall over there by the Lakewood Capitol building. Mm-hmm. And she was very upset that the mayor of Lakewood was just having all the prairie dogs killed instead of captured and sold to Japan. I remember mm-hmm. actually having a whole spiel on that one day. Okay. I didn't actually ever hear anything about that one, but... Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So, so which brought me to, I mean, the um, which which kind of I, I was interested because you know I I have owned exotic pets. I've had um, you know, several boa constrictors. I've had a ball python. Um, and of course I've had um parrots. Sugar and Mac, gliders. you've also had sugar gliders. I've had sugar yeah. gliders. I've had iguanas. I've had bearded dragons. I've had those. I've had uh, desert iguana, which is a very cool little creature, but they're not very friendly. I've had an agama. And uh, I've had chuckawallas, which I understand are getting rarer in the wild. Well, and that is part of the problem here, 
Um, I, I was going to go. Th- I mean, so certainly you see. Let me remind you, by the way, about your iguana. Yes. Uh, yeah. That ill-fated creature. <laughs> that thing was That evil. hated you. Yes. That, that thing hated everybody. I think, I mean, yeah, that thing was absolutely terrible. And that's the one where Jen was at home with the iguana. The iguana dropped its tail. She dropped the iguana. The tail was twitching and she called me. I had to, I had to leave work. I had to go and tell my boss, I have to go home and pick up the iguana's tail. My wife is freaked. Nobody's ever asked, I don't think, to leave work for quite that purpose. That was Probably a, not. I, <laughs> that, that was a, the, quite humorous. I didn't, you know, they, they, that was, that was, that was the story that was told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we had, we did finally get that uh, evil thing back. Back what to the pet store? No, we find it, it ran off and uh, we didn't know where it was. Well, it ended up in our downstairs neighbor's apartment. He came <laughs> up and said, Hey, are you guys missing your iguana? Yeah. Went down there and got the evil thing. Yeah, I'd be like, I was, wouldn't say it. I was actually missing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly it. Uh, I wouldn't say I was missing it. Yeah, so, um, All right. there is, you know, the list of exotic pets and I, in Japan, they, they are, I, I don't know, they seem to have more of them in the pet store, but they seem to be very popular here as well. I mean, there are bats, a whole variety of bugs and invertebrates. Um, on and on and on. Um, uh, there, I know for a while, Madagascan hissing cockroaches were very popular. Right. So, I mean, so here's a list of animals kept as exotic pets. Polecat, alligator, amphibians, African pygmy hedgehogs, which we had one of those too. We got that from, um, from another person. And so we had the hedgehog for a while. And actually that was, that was kind of a cool pet. Um, the, the, the hedgehog was cool. Um, Arctic fox. Bear, coyotes, wolves, uh, feral foxes. No, yeah, uh, tam silver fox, tame silver fox, uh, red fox. I mean, on and on. Sugar gliders, star tortoise, and star tortoise is one that is, I think, at this point illegal. Um, and probably many of these are. Um, so I I started this by looking at um all the different pets you know that that people might keep and you know and. Of course, Japan, um, millions of animals in, that they import every year. And they're expensive there. Like a small dog, um, of a good breed, um, and will cost $6,000 and more. Yeah. So they are, um, they, they, they are really into their exotic pets. And, uh, and the guy that uh, his YouTube video I was listening to, he says, you know, I've seen larger dogs in the suburbs. And he says, you know, these dogs probably have their own room in, in these, you know, in these places. Um, I watched a whole bunch of videos on, um, when, when, when I started, when I Googled some of the first places that I ended up were, um, in Thailand and the, the Thailand crackdown of, uh, of these exotic pets, you know, they, they would raid these, um, uh, these pet stores and stuff like that. And, uh, they, and they would collect all of these animals, um, much, many of which were coming out of Madagascar and Tanzania. I guess Brazil is, uh, is a big export place. So a lot of these, so there's a lot of places where these things are being exported. And one of the big issues is that it may be illegal for you to export that, but when it arrives, um, wherever it arrives, it may be perfectly legal for that, for that animal to come in. Even in this information age, that kind of information is not being shared well uh, amongst these organizations. I think a lot of levels, these exotic animals are, they're not understood. I mean, people see, 
if you're if you're somebody who knows exotic animals, you may see, for instance, a Russian tortoise, but the average person's going to see a, a box turtle. Well, I mean, there is that too. Yeah. So when these things are coming in to, through customs, you're right. The people are not educated to know what they're looking at. They don't often know where it came from. The other problem is, is that even if they do know, they may have a forged certificate saying oh, it was bred in captivity. And so unless you can pick out the forged certificate, you've got a problem there as well. Um, it is in the U.S. a twenty thousand dollar business. Yeah. And that's just Only in the U.S. Twenty thousand dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, twenty billion dollars. I would buy twenty billion. Twenty billion dollars, not no, no, twenty thousand yeah. dollar business is yeah. not even no, no, worth no. sneezing at really. Yeah, no, uh, it's a twenty billion dollar business. It is the third largest illegal trade after drugs and arms, but far less money is put into um, um, to curbing it than we do with drugs and arms. But even though we're, I mean, we throw tons of money at those things, and it, and you know that doesn't really really put a dent in their ability to sell these networks are so big they're using they're using technologies allowed to allow them to communicate and hide this stuff and traffic it um and 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 i think that all three networks are using a lot of the same technologies so they're they're very successful at doing it um so and and this isn't anything new and, you know, I mean, it has exploded because of the internet, but this has been going on for, you know, over 500 years in Europe. People were getting exotic pets, um, there at the same time. Some of those exotic pets from that time aren't exotic pets anymore. Well, and that, but that's true. I, I think they still consider budgies to be exotic pets, but they're easy to breed in captivity, relatively easy. Right. And, and some of these that are being bred in captivity and fairly, and fairly successful, um, even when so they may raid and get a whole bunch of these animals back, but most of the animals cannot be returned to the wild. Um, when no. they catch these, about sixty percent of them are are not in a condition um, to go back into the wild. So they have to be kept in captivity for the rest of their lives anyway. So these things are getting pulled out of out of their normal ecologies, shipped in you know in containers that really are not equipped to ship live animals in so there i my understanding reading some of this is that there's a lot of death in the shipping yeah. but even in what's remaining what lives through the um, transfer process is still quite lucrative um in madagascar they, they you know the, it's a huge problem uh, exporting all of these chameleons that uh, that the um, wild populations are diminishing quickly and chameleons every chameleon i've ever seen Chameleons tend to be pretty delicate anyway. You look at them cross-eyed and they'll get sick. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, huge problems uh, with that kind of stuff. I've never had a chameleon. <laughs> I've had the, the little false chameleons, the anoles. Right. I, I, I've yeah, never I, actually had a chameleon. Uh, I have a, a guy I work with raised panther chameleons. Okay. So... There are, and I don't remember the first two rings are. So there's, there's kind of four rings. The third ring is, is, you know, is, is for the pet trade. The fourth is ornamental. So the skins and feathers and stuff like that. Okay. Um, that, that, that they're trafficking. And every one of these is a huge issue in and of itself. You start, you, you start looking and, and you can, and you can go for a long ways on any particular thing. I mean, I'm just kind of going over the broad surface of the problem. Every single one of these is a, is a particular, um, is a particular issue. And there's a lot going on with, with these, uh, um, in each of these arenas. So the pet trade, um, we, if you guys got down to um, the Museum of Nature and Science to see the reptile exhibit, 
I did. Yeah. So did you see all of the stuff that they had collected at customs? Oh, yeah. The snake, you know, and everything like that. Huge amount of stuff, boots. And, uh, and it's, it's really interesting how they get this stuff into the country. Um, so there's, there's ways of doing it. So with the live animals, they, um, many of these animals are, of course, legal to bring in. So they'll just, you know, they'll stick the ones that aren't in with, in with the other animals that, you know, that they're expecting. And a lot of times they go, don't get caught like that. I mean, even, you know, uh, crates with false bottoms and stuff like that. All this stuff you see, apparently that stuff is regularly being done to get these things in here. Um, I remember hearing an article, uh, a couple of years ago about a guy who was, uh, who was, um, trying to get on a plane with monkeys in his pants. Uh, another one with, with, with birds in their, in their clothing as well. <laughs> so people do all sorts of crazy stuff to get these things past customs and, you know. I've had birds in my clothing. It's not that bad. Have you had monkeys in your pants? I have not had monkeys in my pants. Well, then you that haven't actually lived. actually sounds like the beginning of it, like a, like a dirty joke. <laughs> Absolutely does. A man walks through an airport with monkeys in his pants. And, uh, but another part of, of this problem, and uh, this was, came from a um, – a lot of this came from a, hu- a document that I got from a Brazilian organization um, that's really working hard to, to curb this activity. Um, they said a lot of the problem is you know, um, what, corrupt what government – What animals is this Brazilian organization focusing on? Are, is it local animals or are they worldwide? I think it's, I think it's exporting out of Brazil okay, primarily. Yeah. Um, and I, I have their name somewhere. I think I put it in the document, didn't I? Uh, it's just one down here that connects to the PDF. Where is it? Did I not get it in here? I might not have gotten it. Ugh. I'll have to R-E-N-C-T-A-S? Look. Yeah, that's it. It's, it was in there. Apologies. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that organization is out of Brazil. Um, and they have a lot of problems with just corrupt government departments. Or maybe just even apathetic, you know. So some of them know exactly what's going on and might be getting a payoff, and others probably just don't don't care, you know. And I think that's one of the issues here is that I mean, a lot of people probably are like, well, it's just animals, but they don't realize the damage that it's doing to the ecology. And one of the places to look at this, and Ground Zero is Florida, where they have. Um, I don't have that information in front of me. Well, Florida is really, really friendly to a lot of different exotic species as far as climate goes. Right. So they have they have and it's been, like an all you can be eat buffet for some of them. Right. So they have over a thousand species, and that's so that's animals, plants, and insects. Didn't we didn't we cover a crocodile that got eaten by a a, a loose snake in Florida? Yep. Yeah. It, but it's and it's then the then the snake blew up. <laughs> right. It's crocodile, much bigger than crocodile that. Crocodile stretched and the snake exploded. Yeah, so like that. Uh, this is a short list. So the Everglades has uh, over a thousand um, introduced species, sixty-two of which are considered invasive. And so the invasive, so there's some of them that are just like they just kind of hang out. It's and it's not destroying the ecology. Um, but there, but there are others, plants and animals that are disrupting the ecology. And of course, the big snakes are one of them. Um, they also have a lot of birds that are disrupting the ecology. Um, and actually, you can speak to 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 birds a little bit because didn't you capture a starling? We didn't capture a starling. We rescued a starling. Okay. Uh, it was it was basically a baby that was down on the ground could not fly, and as it turns out, starlings are actually legal to keep because they are not a native species to anywhere in the U.S. 
Right. Yeah. Starlings are European birds. But they would. I would. I. But they have taken on quite well here, and I don't know if they're oh, considered. They're, they're extremely adaptable. Right. But I don't know that they consider them an invasive species. I don't. Uh, but they could be pushing something out. It, it's they, very possible. Actually, one of the things that starlings do is literally pushing something out. Oh. Starlings will push eggs out of other birds' nests and lay their own, leg, own okay. eggs in there and have the other birds raise their eggs. There you go. So that would probably be considered an invasive species. Yeah, at least by the birds. <laughs> by humans as well. But we've got um we've got a whole bunch of other things. Of course, uh pythons, um uh, monitor lizards, iguanas are all things that have been have been released into um into the Everglades. Uh, a bunch of different bird species. Um wild boar. I remember hearing a story not about the Everglades, but about a uh, like it was a it was an island down in the Caribbean. And somebody was observing this island, and they saw a bundle of driftwood come up on the beach, and like five iguanas got off this bundle of driftwood and disappeared into the jungle. A year later, the island is overrun with iguanas. Sure, I've heard that story. I yeah, haven't verified it, but it sounds interesting. It sounds plausible, at least. Yeah. Iguanas are really super adaptable. I call them the rats, the rats of the reptile world. Yeah. So, so the Everglades has, I mean, is. I mean, and Florida is constantly now trying to, to deal with this problem. Um, and one of the things is, I mean, they, you can go out and shoot snakes. So yeah. you don't have to, you know, if you want to, if you want snake boots, now's a good time to be in Florida, I think. <laughs> You're gonna so, to- I mean, that does beg the question of, of who are these people who, I, I guess it just seems so foreign to me, the idea of I'm going to take a risk and do something illegal so that I can have an exotic pet and or exotic pet wear. So here's okay. one of the, well, here's one of the issues, um, not necessarily with the wear, but you buy a snake, you buy a reticulated python, you buy this thing and it's a foot and a half long. Right. In a few years. And it's, it's cute and right. a foot and a half long. And it's not so cute at five feet. At five feet, at six feet, at 10 feet, at 15 feet, at 20 feet and bigger, your reticulated python is not a good home pet anymore. And so, and so what the, so what these people do is they've got to, they've got to do something with them and they let it go. And in Florida, they live. A reticulated python can easily eat a 30 pound raccoon. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about iguanas. Iguanas start off as, you know, when they're generally sold, they're sold at about seven to 12 inches long and they're very cute at that size. What they don't, what they will sometimes tell you in pet stores and sometimes they won't is that iguanas can grow up to a foot a year until a a max of about, I think the largest I've seen is about seven or eight feet with the tail. And that is a, that's an awful lot of lizard that might be absolutely perfectly well behaved and sedentary or it might be very angry and extremely strong. Sure. I, I speak to this podcast as a person who has almost had his nose bitten off by an adult male iguana. Well, and the, another big problem is these uh, big monitor lizards. You know, you get these water monitors, and a, the tail on a water monitor is strong enough to break a grown man's leg. I think I have one of those. A broken leg? No, a, a water monitor. It's a liquid crystal monitor. Is that the same thing? Uh, no. Okay. LCD is not the same as a water monitor. Okay. No. <laughs> Um, and I guess, you know, and then to, to your point about, you know, about wearing the, you know, getting the, the snakeskin boots, I, I don't have an answer for you, but clearly, um, it, they sell them here on the black market. And I guarantee you that the amount that they're confiscating is negligible to what's actually coming into the country. Right. Um, 
and so we're not doing enough to protect these species in the wild. And it's and it's not like it's just a, a problem in the United States. I, we're we're a much bigger importer than we are exporter. But you're yeah. but Madagascar, Brazil, Tanzania are huge exporters of this stuff. Um, you know, and and a lot of it goes through Thailand before it comes here. So even if you um even if we would not accept that coming directly from uh Madagascar, we might accept the same shipment coming out of Thailand. So there's issues there too that and and these these drug or these cartels are using all these little loopholes in order to get the stuff into the United States and other countries into Japan um in many other countries that are, that are part of the problem we're all part of the problem we're, we either have an export problem or an import problem i need to go on the net and see if i can order me a crate of lemurs uh i imagine you can and and it doesn't sound like it would be that difficult in all in all um i was talking to a guy that i work with and cuz he's um he does he does some stuff with wildlife here in colorado um he's pri- primarily um uh, um a herpetology uh, focus and I asked him about about it, and he says you can go online, you can order a black mamba, and they'll they'll crate it up and ship it to your house. I do not want to be the person that opens that crate. No, uh, but I don't I don't have any reason to doubt it. I couldn't I didn't dig I didn't start digging far enough to see you know about what it would take to get these um these exotic animals, but at this point, after what I have looked at, I have no reason to believe that it isn't possible. Somebody's looking right now. I hear him typing. Huh. Don't get the black mamba. What's your address again? <laughs> yeah. No reason. Yeah, no. Just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to send you a Christmas card. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that is a really rough overview of the problem, but it but the the problems that are that are happening is it um the demand for these pets is incredibly high and they're not being bred in captivity. Some of them are, right? Some of them we, we grow in captivity fairly easily. And I would, and I, and most of the birds that we see, my um, birds are captive. I wouldn't even say, I won't, I won't say most. Um, but a lot of the parrots and stuff, we have no problem. Your cockatoos, your cockatiels, stuff like that. I don't think that they're a problem, but there is I some parrots. Cockatoos are actually not parrots. Cockatoos are parrots. Uh, apparently, gen- apparently, as far as their genus goes, they're actually not. They they have the hooked bill and they have two toes in front and two in the back. I think cockatoos are parrots. I don't know where you're getting this from. I'm getting this information off a of bird forum. Fight, fight, fight. Yeah, now we have to fight. Yep. <laughs> Cockfight. I don't know. I I I thought the cockatoo is cockatoo a parrot? Uh, like other parrots, cockatoos have short legs. Short claws. Uh, I, I. Well, uh, what this what this piece of information I was reading was saying was that cockatoos are not in the genus of, of parrots, and budgies actually are. But cockatoos have some characteristics that, that they can do that make them not actual parrots. Okay, I don't know what well, they're the, not true. I'm looking at um, yeah, not, Wikipedia. They're not true parrots, but they they do make up. They're part of the order of, don't even try to get me to pronounce it, but basically parrot. But they're not true parrots, and they're not New Zealand parrots. Okay, damn it, they have a common ancestor. Yeah, well, they're in this Well, league. all birds have got a common ancestor. There you go, see? Dinosaurs. I'm, I'm covered. <laughs> they're in the general parrots, but then there's parrots and there's true parrots, apparently, within it. All right, okay. It's broken down funny. They're not true parrots, but they're within the family order of parrots. Is the macaw still a true parrot? 
Yes. Thank you. So one of the one of them on the list is a is a macaw. Um, there's a list of fifteen or eleven. I guess it's eleven pets no animal lover should ever own. And I would and I would argue that this list is awfully short. I would also argue that this list is from the Huffington Post. Is it? I got it from Global oh. Animal. Uh, it's from the Huffington Post. I would argue that because it's from the Huffington Post, it's probably not that reliable. Okay, you might say that, but I think that we can go through these species, and I uh, and I think that we would come to the same conclusion that they have. I mean, many of these well, are monkeys, li- monkeys, the, lemurs. The kinkajou is probably not a good idea. Uh, one of them is a uh, the great green macaw, which are huge birds that live a, a very long time. I'm I'm going to argue that the uh, titty monkeys are are something you should own just for the name. <laughs> okay. Uh, vultures? I, I, if people I, actually have vultures? As I'm not vultures. sure that a homeowner should own you know, a tortoise. The, the beautiful thing about vultures is you don't have to actually feed them. They just wait. They just wait for you. Um, sugar gliders are on the list. They they don't call them sugar gliders, but those pictures are, are definitely sugar gliders, and they yeah, just they say miniature marsupials. Um I don't know. I, we could we could argue these things, and I don't think that we'll come to any good conclusions on some of them. But uh, I think that these monkeys, I think, are are pretty safe bet that uh, um, not a good idea. The lemurs, probably not the most fantastic no. idea. Um, fish are a huge problem because they're plucking them off the coral reef, and we're depleting our uh, depleting the sea of uh, of of I its know, fish. I saw that movie, Finding um, Nemo. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a huge problem in Thailand. Uh, is it the Actually, fish exports? No. I, I do want to throw out here, though. Or is it the Philippines? It's the Philippines. I do want to throw out here that they're talking about animals that are endangered in the wild. The reason they're endangered in the wild is not is not necessarily because people are wanting them as exotic pets. But the reason they're endangered in the wild is most of the time because their habitat is disappearing. Well, that is part of it for sure. But but I, I in Madagascar, their claims are that many of these species have become um, endangered because of the pet trade. And, and that is also possible. So, but yeah. L- let me finish my point here. The point I was going to make is that in some cases, a a captive breeding program may actually save the species, although it won't save it as a wild species. But that's a heck of a lot different than than picking something up out of the wild and sending it to somebody's home. Yeah. Tortoises, for as long as they live, you you might as well you might as well if you're going to have a tortoise, you better have a trust fund. Yeah. Because when you die, they got to go somewhere. That is true. I'd kill somebody again if they left me a long-lived <laughs> tortoise or a bird in their will. I would, I would dig them up and kill them all over <laughs> again. You know, tortoises, for as long as they live, only go about 40 feet. <laughs> They're quiet, too. Quiet animal. Uh, 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 most tortoises are pretty quiet. The African ones, the ones that get really, really big, they can make some fairly loud noises, usually when they're taking down a wall. You know which ones I'm talking about. The uh, yeah. like your Galapagos tortoises. Some of the no, really I'm not big... talking about the Galapagos. Those are pretty uh-huh. well mannered. I'm talking about the African, the African ones. Um, I don't remember the name of them offhand, but there's an African tortoise that it's not that it's particularly vicious. It's just that it it doesn't see obstructions as something to be obstructed by. So you have to build a super strong enclosure because they can go through most things. I I don't know what, which one you're referring to. I'll have to look it up. Interestingly enough, on not on a single list yet have I found sloths. Yeah, I doubt they're that popular with pets. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's the sulcata, Brian. It's the sulcata tortoise, the African spurred tortoise. Okay. I mean, unless they're really as cool as Prairie the platypus, 
you know, soft aren't going to do much. <laughs> and if they're cool like Pura, you're not going to see them do the cool stuff because they're your pet. There, there cool. is a sloth that I've seen, a sloth called a slow loris, that I have seen. Um, they're not legal in the U.S., but I've seen YouTube videos from some places where they are legal, and they're, you know, they're, it's a pretty darn cute creature. All right. To wrap up, <laughs> many of the exotic pets that we go and buy, we don't know. We have no way of actually knowing whether they were bred in captivity or whether they were caught in the wild. Um, and so that makes buying these exotic pets it's kind of kind of risky because you don't know whether whether you're actually damaging the ecology that they came from by buying this pet or helping out a breeder. And so I think that certainly a good amount of research needs to go in to before getting one of these pets. And I think that we need to kind of consider whether or not we should be keeping them in captivity in the first place in our homes. Zoos are a different story that we can talk about later if you want it. I know that all my birds have eaten bread in captivity, usually pizza crust. Uh, is there anything else? <laughs> I think we're good. Have I made my point? You've made your point. All right. I do want to. I do want to throw an announcement in here. If we okay. Can. I've got another project that I've started where I'm. Uh, my, I and my wife are podcasting, and I've got a blog going. It can be found at primordialbadgersmediahorde.blogspot.com, and uh, we've got a couple podcasts up, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Are you planning on doing them all in from your car? Yeah, really. Nope, we're going to do them from wherever we're at. Because the background noise on some of those can be quite um, It's horrible. I know, I know. Um, we are trying not to record in the car, but these are conversations my wife and I are having, and these conversations come up wherever they come up. Well, then you better ne- learn yourself some noise reduction technologies. <laughs> Other than that, it was fun. You know, yeah, you guys enjoyed the content. I yeah, know was, you did. It was fine, but I, I, I've turned off podcasts for less. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else? I, I, I am. I must say, um, I picked up um a nice polygamy porter while I was in uh, Utah, which I am finding quite tasty. And I found another one called Evolution Amber Ale, um, that uh, by the same company, Wasacha. Watch. Anyway, W A S H A T C H, and uh, they're both excellent. We won uh, at the film festival. We won a uh, a beer basket, <gasps> but I don't know what was in it. Something great, apparently, if you drink beer. Oh, I bet it was. All right, very good. Say good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to amateurskeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at wtf at amateurskeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, no derivatives, 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 